Reverend Jim Jones, cult leader who orchestrated the deaths of 900 of his followers. What does his son have to say 40 years later? H.H. Holmes, one of America's first serial killers. Have you ever wondered if you're related to someone like that? Hear from the man who found out he was. And still at large, a killer of two Delphi, Indiana girls, Abby Williams and Libby German. Hear from the last person to see them alive in her own words. No scripts, all Hoosier. Just honest facts from an experienced journalist and the conversations with people who know these crimes intimately. And you can only hear it on Infamous Indie with me, Joe Malillo. Just search Infamous Indie on your favorite podcasting app. Oh, and by the way, if you want to see my sources, they're free at infamousindie.com. And as I always say, stay safe. Everybody, this is Daniel. Oh, and this is Daniel. <laughs> and this is Carlin. We are Hoosier Homicide, a true crime podcast by Hoosiers for Hoosiers or for anyone that doesn't know what a Hoosier is. Here, forces here on you, standing on you. He's very vigilant. He's trying to look out the window. He's trying to look out the window while keeping contact with me. Mm-hmm. I respect it. She was using him as like an extra pillow the other day, propped up. She only had one pillow, so she was using him like as the extra pillows he didn't seem to mind no he didn't mind sitting on you he's just sitting on you yes. <laughs> there's no other way to define at least it. okay well this is better than like some of the other times he's been up in my business <laughs> up in my business daniel how are you i'm wonderful just wonderful i'm Colts little... one today so that's good yes yes Vinatieri banked it in Yep. The good thing is, though, we all clapped for him, right? When he came on the field, everyone You didn't clapped. do no clapping. You didn't even watch. I You're would. telling it like you were sitting there watching. Yeah, I would have. You spent no time watching I forgot they were on. Joseph, we got to say, because we're from Indianapolis, Joseph Newgarden won the IndyCar Championship. Oh, okay, yes. I saw. That was also on at the bar. So, I was watching. Good for him. Season's over then. We like I will him. admit, I wanted to see one of the other three guys win it, but. No offense. He's from Indiana. No, he's no. From, he's from Tennessee. I do like him though. Okay, Hendersonville, Tennessee. Hendersonville. See, yeah. You know, can't be too much of a hater. No, haterade. We started. We watch Waterboy. It is on Netflix. <laughs> it is. Uh, went to a toddler's We'd birthday make it party. Very far into Waterboy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we went to a toddler birthday party today for my nephew. Yep, he turned two. Those can go one of two ways. Yeah, I mean, it was you can have one it of those. Really, no, I was going to say, it's fine. Like, it wasn't a ton of kids. Like, when people think toddler birthday party, it was really just a few Here, kids. Here, try this. It was good. Yeah, it, it was because it was his other nephew and then our daughter, which is your brother's niece. And then there's, so it was three kids. Like, it wasn't, it was mostly adults, I guess, then. I was going to say, those birthday parties can go one of a few ways. Like, it wasn't screaming. Well, it could be kids. screaming kids running around everywhere, or you got the parents that like to drink. Yeah. We so didn't and there's just yeah. like drunk people drunk at parents. the toddler birthday party. No, it was fine. It wasn't like- <laughs> Except my dad. Yes, your dad. See, that's what was funny. <laughs> he might have been drinking a little. You got to do what you got to do. It was funny, though. Because he was showing- uh, your nephew a picture while well, he he's in the middle he's of opening to open, presents. He's trying to open. My dad just gets out his phone and he's like, "Here, look, look. Here's <laughs> a picture of me." And it was like the ultimate old white person story. <laughs> yeah, like and this is your aunt, great aunt, so and so. Do you recognize her? I'm he's like, two. He cannot respond. <laughs> dad, they're trying to get him. They're he's two. His attention span is like that. <laughs> trying to get him to open presents, like quick quizzing all him. Good, though. Then, but he did check with our daughter several times if she knew who the president of the United States was. Yes. Did she know? Yes, she does know, and said it hmm. every time he asked. But then he was like, "What's your favorite grocery store?" Donald Trump. <laughs> she just thought that was the answer to everything. That was, now. That's like <laughs> she's like, I get such a rise out of him when I say it. This is the answer, right? <laughs> God, my dad and my brother were both. Trying to start the politics, the political. Oh, not with the toddler birthday party. Like, Shut up. 
I don't know what her whether or not I agree or disagree. That is not the point. I know. I just hate talking about politics, period, or anything that has to do with politics. That's how we like refrain from getting a shit more of negative reviews. My brain talk about politics. It's just got to turn it off. Some point. The Notre Dame game last night. I couldn't even watch it. Because that's like, that's how much shit I got going on. Yeah. It's like, I can't take any more extra shit. Oh, man. I'm still ill. I'm finally coming out of it. It's uh, been like a full seven You say days. that I'm sick all the time. No, I at least, I am, I at least I come am. out of it. And like, I can't bounce back. Like, it's going to be a full. I'm surprised I didn't have to go to the doctor and get antibiotics. But so that everyone can hear this, the vocal fry in my voice. Uh, everyone enjoy that. So There's nothing I can do. I was at, I have a funny story. Okay, I was at do it. work. And my boss sits across from me and he goes, come over here. So I like get up and walk around to his computer and he's like, look at this. I'm freaking out. I can't get the spec off my computer. And I was looking at it and I was like, I don't know. And he's like rubbing it. And then he has an Excel sheet open and it's on. It's like he's rubbing it and the Excel sheet is like in the background. And he <laughs> he decides... To hit the backspace button, it was a fucking comma. <laughs> it was a comma in an Excel, like a little cell, a little cell. Yep, yep. He just hit backspace. He turned bright red. He's like, I've never done something that embarrassing before. <laughs> You're like, I'm here to document. I laughed so hard. He was trying to get a comma off the screen by scrubbing it. Yeah, <laughs> there's this black speck on my screen. He was like, I've never done anything that embarrassing, and I was like, that. It's like people trying to take a... I would have said, I highly doubt that. It's like people trying to take a screenshot of their cracked phone to send it to someone. Yeah. Yeah. Like, look how cracked my screen is. But I, like, walked over and I was like, what? I was like, I don't know. Like, I was like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know why the spec won't come off the screen and they just hit the backstage button and it went away. <laughs> I was like... Yeah, I was, like, on the ground laughing. I do shit like that when I'm alone. One time... I was watching something on the laptop, so which means or on the iPad, which means my headphones were in. But I got out my phone to like record a piece, it was like a funny clip, and I was probably going to send it to you. And I was like holding it up to the iPad with my yeah, earphones. Why is there no in. sound? So it, there's no sound. This, this <laughs> clip what? It was really a Snapchat. This clip has no sound, <laughs> even though I thought it would. That's funny. So we're recording a little late, and it's because of a toddler party. Fun stuff. But okay, so this is part two. So you have to listen to last week. Un- oh, did he crop dust you? He farted on me. <laughs> you have to listen to last week's episode for this to make sense in theory. If you don't want to, I don't blame you, honestly. I mean, I blame but, you if you want to know what the context is. Yeah, but uh, you miss out on Daniel's teenage bitch voice, which is pretty good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think well, I have some an know, opportunity for you to read some more. I live with someone who had a lot of experience, so I've had a lot of time to perfect this impersonation i've got some okay so i did go to our mom's like rental property and got into the garage because i couldn't stop thinking about the notes from the last episode the teenage girls passing notes back and forth and i was like i know i've got a ton of them danielle's had some weird fantasies teenage really? girls passing notes <laughs> back and forth <laughs> so i go there in this big trunk and i realize that trunk is a lot of shit in it like and I threw half of it away, but I think it really? got yeah. But I think I it remember got, that being like you can't get in my trunk. You might, it's my memory. It's my, me, it's my like it's my prime position. <laughs> Listen, she but sounds I a think, lot like that. Yeah, and I was like, what, what, what if the house was on fire? You grab your whole trunk. Yeah, yeah, maybe I couldn't have carried it though. This time I had to empty it out. Um, but I think we were moving. So I was like, this is mildly important. I'll just put this in here with this stuff. So it was a lot of like just pictures of me. So it wasn't necessarily something that like, I don't know. I feel like I put it in there as a convenient way to move it from houses after the explosion is what I think. But then I found a stack of <laughs> notes from my freshman year in high school. Okay, well. one This one is real short, but it's like. Uh, you hear you read this first. Okay. One. It's real short. Oh I my god! What's the point of even passing exactly, a note this short? Exactly. But they did it in that book too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, babe, was up with an arrow and a Z. A w was up. Sos sosh. I what does sosh mean? S O S H. It took me a while to figure this out because sometimes it's S O S, and I was like, why are we fl- flagging S O S signals? Why are there flares in these letters? What's going on? Same old shit here. It took me a while to figure that out. It's just so unnecessary. Like you just Did saw you know each that other at probably. The time? 
Uh, I, as reading the letters, I read all of them today to figure out what it meant, and that's what. Okay, I so sosh, which means same old shit here. Like obviously, you probably just saw each other last period. Yeah, probably. Just wondering. I know JW. Just wondering mm. if you want to do something tonight, spelled T O N I T E. This might be. That's probably Libby. Bell's about to ring. A ding ding. <laughs> <laughs> Bells are out to about to ring a ding ding. G two G G T G, which is gotta go. Know that one. Who wrote this? I think it's Libby. This is Libby sure. for sure. Yeah. She would say, "Bells about to ring a ding ding." <laughs> so sure. Sorry, so sure. T T Y L. Love me. Me. So that's how I was like. I think it's Libby. That's, yeah, she was. Okay, say this that. has got to be another one. I don't know if to make Daniel read it or if you like hearing Carla read it. Smelly babe, remember it was Danielle smells that because it rhymed. Mm-hmm. It's not Danielle very good rhyming. Smells. That's not very good rhyming. Yeah, that's a that's a stretch. Kind of. Here, I got I got another one that rhymes. Cow pajamas. <laughs> it was Danielle smelly. That's what it was. I okay. Think. Well, that's different. What's up again with the arrow? Like you couldn't just write up. Well, an arrow <laughs> might be a little easier. Not much here. Do you want to do something this weekend? God, my God. call each other. I think I have to babysit again on Friday. I don't think that Grant is going to call me. Oh, my God. See, that's yeah, so see, sad. It turns into this. Yeah. I hope he does, but I so don't you're, you're... think he will call. Okay. I don't even know who Grant is. Like that half I'm so <laughs> pissed at Kelly that I can't even look at her. Yeah. Oh, my God. Grr, wolf. <laughs> Grr, wolf. <laughs> If I could ask her one question, it would be, why? Why Bitch. does she lie, not spelled correctly, L-Y, <laughs> about everything? I just want to hit her. <laughs> <laughs> why would she want to break me and I up? I, she, uh, yep. No, it's confusion <laughs> Yeah, there. it is. Please find out why she lied, again, spelled wrong, to me, please. Love ya. <laughs> <laughs> this last one, this is a longer one. You go ahead and read one more. Yeah. Yeah, and then. Holy balls. Okay. Hey, babe. What's up? Again with the arrow. <laughs> this is a different person, too. Same new shit. Okay. Same new shit. Guess what? Dot, 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 dot. Are you guessing? Then guess. Dot, dot, dot. Okay, arrow. I'm not really. <laughs> I'm not in relating. Relating class, remember? Oh, my God. Yeah. It literally, then it says, oh, my God, after that. Yeah. Haha, I bet you thought I was going to be really good. JK, new ways. Anyways, in- God. I'm in English. Second period. Because of homeroom schedule. Fuck homeroom schedule. I remember that. It fucked everything up for it the It really whole day. did fuck everything up. And we can't go to our lockers, and I don't have anything to do. Besides, write ya, write to ya. <laughs> oh my god, our first cheer game is tonight. <laughs> she was a cheerleader. I know you know because you'll be there, but I'm sighted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm staying after school. Are you? Maybe we can chill together with the two. Well, Andrew, yeah, I don't. Know I already who, know. Oh, is that, I, know. Is that in, I, I guess I know who that is. Well, Andrew, this morning in health was like. I know who likes you. And the first thing that popped in my little pea brain was Kevin. <laughs> I don't know which Kevin it is. Oh, sexy man. <laughs> <laughs> but he goes AP. And I was like in my head, oh my God, no. I like her notes better. Yeah. Who he hearing that <laughs> from? And then I was like, Danielle. <laughs> <laughs> But he's like, no, I think it's obvious, and I and he thinks I like him back, but I don't know that, and I know I like Kevin, so I'm confused. <laughs> Not totally, but I really, really like Kevin. <laughs> oh, he called me last night, and was and I was in heaven. Not literally, but like really close. <laughs> <laughs> And we were talking about like weird stuff and I was like, wow, I think I really like this kid. Oh my God. I want to chop his hand. Oh. Not really. So I can have it to hold at all times. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, I think he wants to do something this weekend because he keeps going. What are you doing this weekend? <laughs> Talk about 
<laughs> Talk about a <laughs> cracking the code there. <laughs> uh, but he never says, well, do you want to do something? And I almost said, not yet, but I want to do something with you. So if he says that again, I'm going to be like, Kev, you want to do something this weekend? <laughs> you want to do something this weekend? Because paintballing isn't going to work. <laughs> Arrow, it's hunting season. <laughs> Ah, uh, we get shot. We'd get shot. <laughs> I'm not a deer. <laughs> so how's Phil? <laughs> Are you ever gonna talk to him? Here, dot dot dot. Two big balls. <laughs> now you have the balls to go and talk to him. <laughs> I'd give him another set, but he might take it offensively. So I'm gonna go. So I'm not gonna do that. Gotta go. Love you lots. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> that was funny. It's gotta be freshman year because she's asking about a guy named Phil in World Civ that would just stare at me all class. World Civ. Mm -hmm. All class. He would stare at me. And I was like, motherfucker has a girlfriend. I found that That's how it always do. Yeah. That's how it always do. But I was too afraid to talk to him because I don't know if he was a sophomore or a junior. Oh my God, not a sophomore. Uh, uh, <laughs> Wow, that was mildly okay. entertaining. So, I mean, that's what I was saying. I know there were a few other ones where she was accusing another girl of giving a guy a head in like the woods somewhere. <laughs> it happened in your grade. It happened I'm in my yeah, grade. Yeah, I'm not saying it did. Alleg allegedly. Allegedly, it did happen when I was a senior and our Uncle Kevin actually discovered it happening in, in the, the parking lot. In the parking lot. So you mm -hmm. used to be in the woods. Like we pulled a mattress out wow. of the woods back yes. there. He I said, I remember that. He said, and I quote, what are you doing? <laughs> I can hear him saying it. What are you doing? <laughs> and then he went, ah, ha, 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 I guarantee ah. he ran inside and told, you know, yeah. whoever and was just dying. Yeah, I'm sure he was. Because he don't give a fuck. Like, mm -hmm. man. That was some hot You goss. always know. When you get your two uncles together mm -hmm. and... They get going around the holidays. Bring your damn earplugs. Oh, you could. You could. Oh, yeah. Yes. They'll startle you. <laughs> what are you doing? So that was a sampling of some lovely note passing. Yeah. I feel like I got some good ones. We used to do the same thing. Yeah. That was more that speed instead of like, I want to kill her. Yeah. She did say she wanted to chop a guy's hand off though and keep In it. A nice In a way. nice way. <laughs> So that's why I was like, every time I was researching it for the last episode, I'm like, man, I feel like I've done this. Like, this seems so familiar. And they're weird. She actually drew a picture of two balls, didn't yeah, she? she did yeah, she did draw yeah, a picture yeah, of two balls. balls. No peen, just the no bubbles. Peen, just the bubbles. Anyway, okay, we'll get going. That's about the same amount of time. So we left off with, okay, this is, you got to listen to the first episode. Fuck. Just go do that. Because who are our players? Are Shanda, Cher who is 12, Melinda Loveless, who just turned 16, and she's about to meet Lori Tackett, 17, and a couple other girls, and they're going to go pick up Shanda in a ruse. It's a ruse. Okay. But so Shanda she, don't know. No, it's just about to get real. On the night of January 10th, 1992, Melinda Loveless gathered three of her friends together, Tony Lawrence, 15, Hope Rippey, 15, and Lori Tackett, 17. The girls drove around in Lori's car from Madison to Melinda's house in New Albany. Tony, while a friend of Lori's, had not previously met Melinda, who was 16, though Hope had met her once before and had gotten along with her. Tony Lawrence was born in... Okay, so here's a backstory of these couple girls that we haven't met yet. Tony Lawrence was born in Madison in February of 1976. Her father was a boilermaker, I think an actual boilermaker, not the Purdue... Not a Purdue boilermaker. I have a feeling that's what it is. She was... Close friends with Hope from childhood, she was abused by a relative at age nine and was raped by a teenage boy at age 14, uh -huh. although the police were only able to issue an order for the boy to keep away from... So they were able to get a restraining order against the boy, but no legal charges were filed, and that fucked her up. She went to counseling after the incident, but did not follow through. She became a promiscuous, began self-harming, and attempted suicide in eighth grade. So we're gathering a bunch of unstable young girls in a car together is what I'm going to get at here. Hope Rippy was born in Madison on June 9th, 1976. Her father was an engineer at a power plant. Her parents divorced in February of 1984, and she moved with her mother and siblings to Quincy, Michigan for three years. 
She claimed that living with her family in Michigan was somewhat turbulent. Her parents resumed their relationship in Madison in 1978. As with the other girls, Hope began to self-harm at age 15. Everyone has a lot of mental instability and childhood trauma all in one car. Uh, Mary Lori Tackett, so it, Lori, was born in Madison, Indiana on October 5th, 1974. Her mother was a fundamentalist Pentecostal Christian, and her father was a factory worker with two felony convictions in the 1960s. Hmm. Lori claimed that she was molested at least twice as a child, both times before the age of 12. In May of 1989, her mother discovered that Lori was changing into jeans at school. Ah, they're real religious, so you have to wear like skirts, you know. But no one wants to wear skirts to school. Are jeans unholy? I think they are. Very. Unless they have holes in them. But <laughs> <laughs> That was good. I like that. <laughs> and after a confrontation that night, she attempted to strangle her. Social workers became involved and her parents agreed to unannounced visits to ensure that child abuse was not occurring. So we're having some friction between mom so- and daughter. It was unholy to wear the jeans, but it's holy to strangle your kid. And I think there were, yeah, she became increasingly rebellious after her 15th birthday and also became fascinated with the occult. She would attempt to impress her friends by pretending to be possessed by the spirit of Deanna the Vampire. Hmm. Lori began to engage in self-harm, especially after 1991 when she began dating a girl who was involved in the practice. Her parents discovered the self-mutilation and checked her into a hospital on March 19th, 1991. Lori was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and confessed that she had experienced hallucinations since she was a young child, which I don't know if borderline personality and hallucinations go together. Like, isn't that something else? I think they're two different things. She was discharged on April 12th and dropped out of high school in September of 1991. So she was really into Satanism, I think. And it, it was more for like the, to do the extreme opposite of my parents, like forcing me to go to church and to be and like, I do not want to be here. If they asked her if she believed in God, she was like, nope, I'm an atheist. And just intense rebellion from her parents, like really strict religious ways. Full body chills. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Lori stayed in Louisville in October of 1991 to live with various friends. There she met Melinda Lovelace. The two became friends in late November. The next month, Lori moved back to Madison on the promise that her father would buy her a car. So, like, her parents, they don't have any control. It's like, I will buy you a car if you come back here. She still spent most of her time in Louisville and New Albany with Melinda. April 10th, 1992, upon arrival at Melinda's house, they borrowed some of her clothes, and she showed them a knife, telling them she was going to scare Shanda with it. While Lori and Tony had never met Shanda prior to that night, Lori had already known of the plan to intimidate the 12-year-old girl. So two of these girls have never met the, the young girl, have never met Shanda. They never met her. No, nothing, no... How old are these girls? 15 and 16. And Shanda was only 12. Yeah. yeah. Picking up a 12-year-old girl. Yeah, I'll give more trigger warnings when we get closer. Melinda explained to the two other girls that she disliked Shanda for being a copycat for stealing and for stealing her girlfriend. Remember the Madonna look? It's still my look. Oh. Scrunchies are my thing. Cone boobs are my thing. What? Cone boobs. Madonna. Cone boobs. I wasn't sure what you said. Lori let Hope drive the four girls to Jeffersonville. If we had enough time, I'd have you look that up. But it's southern Indiana somewhere. Where Shanda stayed with her father on the weekends, stopped at a McDonald's restaurant en route to ask for directions. They arrived at Shanda's house shortly before dark. Melinda instructed Hope and Tony to go to the door and introduce themselves as friends of Amanda. So Amanda is the third piece in the love triangle that both Melinda and Shanda are fighting over. And... She isn't helping the situation by picking one girl or the other. She kind of likes being in the middle. So they're coming up to Shannon and saying, hey, we're friends of Amanda's. Uh, Then invite her to come with them to see Amanda. Like, hey, you probably can't see her. She's probably grounded for something or you can't talk to her on the phone because your parents found out you're scissoring. And so now if you come with us, (laughs) this is the ruse. I'm serious. They're like, come with us and we can get. You can hear me. What? (laughs) Yeah. What? (laughs) So that's the thing is like you can't get to your girlfriend through regular means. Well, we're friends of her. So you should come with us so that you get to see her because we're good friends. Yeah. Get in the car. Get in the car. We're going shopping. Um, then invited her to come with them to see Amanda who was waiting for them at the witch's castle. They went to Ireland too? Yeah. 
better known as Mistletoe Falls, a ruined stone house located on an isolated I hill. Mistletoe Falls. <laughs> on an isolated hill overlooking the Ohio River. It was something, you know, it's like one of the places you go as a teenager, like, I dare you to drive by this, you know, at night with the lights off or kids go exploring it, teenagers telling each other it's haunted, that like witches live there and they were excommunicated by this the villagers so they put a curse on them or as the first settlers native americans were like kicked out so the town like the little church is cursed i think it's all bullshit but it did catch on fire at one point and it was a chapel so it looks really creepy now it was the witch's curse the witch's curse it's a great movie Paranorman. Paranorman. So that's the thing is like we're going to go here and meet a, like a teenage hangout. We're meeting up. We're going to scare each other. <laughs> Shanda said that she could not go because her parents were awake and she told the girls to come back around midnight a few hours later. Melinda was angry at first, but Hope and Tony assured her about returning for Shanda later. The four girls crossed the river to Louisville and attended a punk rock show by the band Sunspring. Do you know them? Mm, I'm not well versed on punk rock correct i don't think it was a big deal either at the audubon skate park near interstate 65 tony and hope quickly lost interest in the music and went to the parking lot outside where they engaged in sexual activities oh with my. two boys in Lori's car there's who up are and these kids out. eventually the four girls left for shanda's house during the ride melinda said that she could not wait to kill her however melinda also said she just intended to use the knife to frighten her when they arrived at Shanda's house at 12.30 a.m., Tony refused to retrieve Shanda, so Lori and Hope went to the door. Melinda hid under a blanket in the backseat of the car with a knife. This is like luring someone into... Lovely. Yeah. Hope told Shanda that Amanda was still at the witch's castle. She was reluctant to go with them, yet agreed after changing her clothes. So a part of her knew, like, this isn't right. Like, you know, you don't listen to that inner part of you, especially as a younger kid. You don't know... That, that it's screen, you know, your innards are screaming at you because something's not right. You don't know to trust that yet. So she felt it. She knew something was off, but went anyways. As they got in the car, Hope began questioning Shanda about her relationship with Amanda. Melinda then sprang out from the backseat, put a knife to Shanda's throat, and began interrogating her about her sexual relationship with Amanda. They drove towards Utica, which is where the witch's castle is. Lori told the girls that a, about a local legend where nine witches lived and they burnt the town. Everyone got smallpox and died. I don't know. So some stupid. At the witch's castle, they took a sobbing Shanda inside and bound her arms and legs with rope. There, Melinda taunted that she had pretty hair and wondered how pretty she would look if they were to cut it off, which frightened Shanda even more. Melinda began taking off her rings and handed each to the girls. At some point, Hope had taken Shanda's Mickey Mouse watch and danced to its tune that it played. Lori further taunted Shanda, claiming that the witch's castle was filled with human rem remains and she would be next. To further threaten the young girl, Lori then retrieved a shirt with a smiley face design from the car and lit it on fire, but immediately feared that the fire would be spotted by passing cars, so the girls left with Shanda. So they just went there to, like, terrorize her. And if the story ended here, it still is fucked up and not very nice, but it would be a much better place to end tormenting someone. Hmm. During the car ride... She continued begging them to take her home. Melinda ordered Shanda to slip off her bra, which she then handed to Hope, who slid over her own bra and replaced it with Shanda's bra while steering the car. <laughs> I don't no, know. We all have special talents. You know, yeah. And a girl like her, that's probably it. They became lost, so they stopped at a gas station and covered Shanda in a blanket. They get lost repeatedly, but I guess I can't begrudge them for that because I can get lost real easy. When Lori went inside to ask for directions, Tony asked a boy she knew in Louisville to and chatted for several minutes to ease her worries, but did not mention that she and her friends had abducted a young girl. They returned to the car, but became lost again and pulled over to another gas station. There, Tony and Hope spotted a couple of boys and talked to them before once again getting back into the car and leaving, arriving sometime later at the edge of some woods near Lori's home in Madison. Okay, Lori led them to a dark garbage dump off a logging road in a densely forested area. Tony and Hope were frightened and stayed in the car. Melinda and Lori made Shanda strip naked, then Melinda beat her with her fists. Next, Melinda repeatedly slammed Shanda's head into her knee, which cut Shanda's mouth on her new braces. It's going to ah. get rougher. As I go here, it's getting rougher. Melinda tried to slash the young girl's throat, but the knife was too dull. Hope came out of the car to hold down Shanda. Melinda and Lori took turns stabbing her in the chest. <gasps> then they strangled Shanda with a rope until she was unconscious. 
placed her in the trunk of the car, and told the other two girls that she was dead. The girls drove to Lori's nearby home and went inside to drink Pepsi. This is how you know they're real killers. Pepsi. Oh, no. Yeah. I said that to dad, actually, because they were at the pancake house, and they switched from Coke to Pepsi, and he was like, you've got to be kidding me. The real sociopath drink Pepsi. So... Then they heard Shanda screaming in the trunk. Lori went out with a paring knife and stabbed her several more times, coming back a few minutes later covered with blood. At 2.30 a.m., Tony and Hope stayed behind as Lori and Melinda went country cruising, which is about as hillbilly as it gets, which I guess just means driving around at night on the back roads. Driving to the nearby town of Cannon, Shanda continued to make crying and gurgling noises, so Lori stopped the car. When they opened the trunk, Shanda sat up, covered in blood, with her eyes rolling back in her head, but unable to speak. Lori beat her with a tire iron until <gasps> she was silent and then told Melinda to smell it, The f- referring to the blood on the tire iron. It's getting worse as I'm going. The girls that are See, doing... See, to me, this is, the, this is the kind of things that what you plead away is, okay, so you're either going to get the electric chair or you can admit you did it and we'll just do lethal injection. <laughs> That's we'll, we'll give you three days to think about your impending doom. In China, they would have said guilty, take her outside and fucking shoot her. Oh, yeah. It would have been done. Or why don't you just do to her what she did to the other girl? Yeah, you couldn't You couldn't even recreate this. Uh, Melinda and Lori returned to her house just before daybreak to clean up. Hope asked Shanda and Lori laughingly, describing the torture. The conversation woke up Lori's mother who yelled at the, her daughter for being out late and bringing girl, home a bunch of girls, so Lori agreed to take them home. She drove to a burn pile where they opened the trunk to stare at Shanda. Tony refused. Hope sprayed her with Windex and taunted her. You're not looking so hot now, are you? Uh, the girls drove to a gas station near Madison, Madison Consolated High School, pumped some gasoline into the car, and bought a two-liter of Pepsi. Lori poured out the Pepsi and refilled the bottle with gasoline. They drove north of Madison past Jefferson, past Jefferson Proving Ground to Lemon Road off U.S. Route 421, a place known to Hope. Tony remained in the car while Lori and Hope wrapped Shanda, who was still alive, in a blanket and carried her to a field by the gravel country road. Lori made Hope pour the gasoline on Shanda, and then they set her on fire. Melinda was not... Yep. Yeah, it's bad. There's nothing okay. And I don't know how you do this. I don't know what part of you as a human can do this to any other living thing, really. Melinda was not convinced that the girl was dead, so they returned a few minutes later to pour the rest of the gasoline on her. The girls then went to McDonald's at about 9.30 a.m. for breakfast, where they laughed about Shanda's body looking like one of the sausages they were eating. (gasps) Yeah, like it's cruel and unusual on so many levels. Tony then phoned a friend and told her about the murder. So we're not even going to try and hide it. Like, I can't wait to tell all my bitches. Yeah. Lori then dropped off Tony and Hope at their home and finally returned to her home and with Melinda. She told Amanda that she had killed Shanda and arranged to pick up Amanda later that day. Like, the first person you want to brag to is the other party in the triangle. Like, I killed your girlfriend. A, f- a friend of Loveless, Crystal Wathen, came over to Melinda's house and they told her what happened. Then the three girls drove to pick up Amanda and bring and brought her back to Melinda's house where they told her the story. Both Amanda and Crystal were, were reluctant to believe the story until Lori showed them the trunk of the car with Shanda's bloody handprints and socks still present. Amanda was horrified and asked to be taken home. When they pulled up in front of her house, Melinda kissed Amanda, told her she loved her, and pleaded with her not to tell anyone. Amanda promised she would not tell anyone before entering her house. And I don't think she did tell anyone. I blame Amanda Hebron. Her family feels that you molested their daughter. Well, I mean, you can't molest somebody when she came to me first. I, I never came to Shanda like that. Shanda locked me in her bathroom and made the first move on me, not the other way around. Did you have a sexual relationship with her? Yes. Did you think that because she was only 12 that it wasn't a good idea? I mean, she was seeing boys older than me. So, obviously, I mean, she knew what she was getting into. I didn't do nothing to her that she didn't want me to. What they may call intimate, we wasn't intimate like that. Not like a male and female is intimate. Did you know that Melinda had made a death threat against her? Mm-hmm. She told you she was going to kill her, right? Yes, and I went to uh, the youth prosecutor and told them about it. Uh, what'd you tell? 
I gave them the letters that uh, Melinda had wrote me. And uh, I guess they said they was going to have a, a meeting with the parents, but I never heard anything about it after that. And she confessed to you after the fact, correct? Yes. Did she show you the bloody trunk yes. and Shanda's bloody clothes? Yes. And you didn't tell anybody? No, so I just didn't believe it. Because one minute they were laughing, the next minute they were crying. So it was hard to tell which, one, which was fake and which was true. So you knew she was dead. You believe When you heard those details, did you believe it? Um, part of me did, but part of me didn't. Did you ever think that you should warn Shanda's parents that she had made a death threat against um, her? My dad warned them about the letters. The youth prosecutor warned them about the letters and everything that was going on. They feel like this started with her relationship with you and that you could have said something when they told you they confessed to you that they killed her. Yeah, I did uh, confess to um, people that they were going to kill her. So maybe the authorities could have done more stuff. And maybe her dad could have done something, you know, when those three girls knocked on the door and Shane answered the door. And he was like, who is that? And that's what I was told. He didn't even know that. She didn't even know who those girls were. blaming the father. I'm not blaming the father. I'm not blaming anybody but the girls that did it. Well, it sounds like you're kind of putting something on the father. Well, I mean, they're putting it all on me. We've got a dead a dead child here, I understand. Right? I mean, come on. But let's not, we don't want to throw rocks at a, at a dead child. Right. I mean, they're throwing rocks at me, though. You know, I've lost a lot during this. I lost basketball scholarships because of it. You know, I got kicked off the basketball team because of it. You know, there's a lot of things that I lost because of it. But I had to sacrifice. They just don't know the story. I didn't come on to Shannon like that. She came on to me. And you're completely at peace with your role in this thing. You don't feel guilty about any aspect of this I mean, whatsoever. You have no... No regrets? I mean, I do, and in, in part, feel guilty as far as not telling somebody when I found out. But nobody was calling my house looking for Shanda. So, in reality, I didn't know that it was true because nobody was calling me looking for her. You think that would have been the first place they would call it was my house. Well, her mother did call your house, didn't well, she? Well, I never, I never got that message that she called me. My dad may have known and maybe didn't tell me. Did you tell your father that, that these girls had confessed to killing Shanda? I did, like... Two, two, three hours later, after I was told. But you said you didn't want to get anybody in trouble, right? That's why you waited to tell. That's not that I want to get anybody in trouble. It's just I didn't know if that would really happen. I didn't want to call and be like, "Hey, I heard this and it's not been true." You said Shanda's mother's made your life miserable. Well, mine and a lot of my family's. Yes. You understand they've suffered a tremendous loss. Yeah, that's all about. You seem pretty smug about this, and I would have thought that you would have had a lot more compassion. I, you know, I have had compassion, but just the thought that somebody would call me a child monster upsets me. Understand. Is there anything you want to say to them? I am sorry that this has happened. You know, ultimately, Shane's father paid the price, too, by drinking himself to death, and, and I really am sorry. I mean, it hurts my feelings, though. They think I'm a child monster because I'm not. Is there anything you haven't said that you would like to say? I never got to say goodbye to her, you know. You know, I didn't get to go to her funeral. I was threatened not to go to her funeral. And I didn't get to say goodbye to her. I'm not responsible for anything that's happened in Amanda's life. She's responsible for her own actions. I, I didn't I didn't ask my daughter to be murdered. I didn't ask Amanda to molest, to be a predator, to have sex However, whatever kind of sex it is that she wants us to, to know about with Shanda, Shanda was 12 years old. When we talk about molestation, it's a different kind of molestation. It was if you would have just left her alone and went away, maybe she would still be here, but you wouldn't just go away. When I heard Amanda say, well, you know, it's affected me because I got kicked off the basketball team or uh, all the little trivial things that she mentioned, that is typical Amanda Heverin. Amanda Heverin was just as guilty and just as culpable as all the other four girls that went to prison. Amanda should have been right there with them. She knew Melinda Lovelace had threatened to kill her. She knew Melinda was going to kill her. She did nothing to stop it. Even after she was shown the bloody trunk, she did nothing. Absolutely nothing. Later on in the morning of January 11, 1992, two brothers from Cannon were driving toward Jefferson Proving Ground to go hunting when they noticed a body on the side of the road, which I think they thought it was a mannequin. They called the yes, police. I would also think the same thing. Because mm -hmm, it shouldn't be there. Yeah. Right. 
They called the police at 10.55 a.m. and were asked to return to the corpse. David Cam, who was later acquitted of his own family's murder, was one of the responding officers. And that's a big case. David Cam, like he had like 10 eyewitnesses at the time that his family was murdered and was still convicted. It's something insane. And I think he sued the state for a lot of money. But he was a state trooper. Jefferson County Sheriff Buck Shipley and detectives began an investigation collecting forensic evidence at the scene. They initially suspected a drug deal gone wrong and did not believe the crime had become had been committed by locals. Because it's too heinous to be like your local people because it's a small town. Like no one would do that. And it was a that. little girl. Yeah. Shanda Sher's father, Stephen, noticed his daughter was nowhere to be found early on January 11th. After phoning neighbors and friends all morning, he called his former wife, Shanda's mother, at 1.45 p.m. They met and filed a missing persons report with the Clark County Sheriff. At 8.20 p.m., a hysterical Tony and Hope went to the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office with their parents. They both gave very rambling statements, identifying the victim as Shanda, naming the two other girls involved as best as they could, and describing the main events of the previous night. So they were just instantly spilled their guts. Detectives obtained dental records that positively identified Shanda as the victim. Melinda and Lori were arrested on January 12th. The bulk of the evidence for the arrest warrant was Tony and Hope's statements. The prosecution immediately declared its intention to try both Melinda Lovelace and Lori Tackett as adults. For several months, the prosecutor and defense attorneys did not release any information about the case. Because it was like a big deal. Because girls don't do this shit. So when you do, it's like, what the fuck? On March 16, 1992, the Jefferson County Juvenile Court held a pro probable cause hearing for juvenile delinquency regarding Tony Lawrence and Hope Rippey. The prosecutor filed identical charges against both girls. Count one, murder. Count two, criminal confinement. Count three, criminal deviant conduct. Count four, aggravated battery. Count five, arson. Count six, intimidation. Count seven, battery. By means of a deadly weapon. I know. Yeah. I've read I this think part. I've. I think this is a forensic files episode Probably. that doesn't nearly go into an, as no, much they detail because they're so, they're like twenty minutes long. Yeah. Really. Melinda and Lori had been issued identical charges with an additional charge of child molestation. So there's some question as to whether she was sexually assaulted or not prior to her death. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibilities. Mm -mm. They deny it, of course. And it's like, well, what wouldn't you have done to her? Well, we wouldn't have done that. We'd set her on fire alive, but we wouldn't do that. All four girls were charged as adults, which we know as young as 12 in Indiana has been charged as an adult. Some of the mitigating factors were all four girls had troubled backgrounds with claims of physical or sexual abuse committed by a parent or other adult. Tony, Hope, and Lori all had histories of self-harming behavior. Lori was also diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and suffered hallucinations. Melinda often was described as the ringleader in the attack, had the most extensive history of abuse and mental health issues. All of the girls accepted plea agreements offered to them by the prosecution. So they weren't going to go to trial. Otherwise, they would have sought the death penalty, I'm pretty sure. It's like yeah. either plead guilty or we're going to go for the death penalty. Hope Rippey was sentenced to 60 years with 10 years suspended for mitigating circumstances plus 10 years of medium supervision probation. On appeal, a judge reduced the sentence to 35 years in exchange for her cooperation. Tony Lawrence was allowed to plead guilty to one count of criminal confinement and was sentenced to a maximum of 30 years. On November 23, 1992, during the plea agreement hearing for Melinda Lovelace in Madison, she admitted that she had poured gasoline on Shanda Sher's already burning body. She didn't say who struck the match, but she did admit that she knew Shanda was alive prior to the time that the initial fire was set. So it's like, you have no soul, and you're standing in front of me. Somebody, somebody deserved to die for this. Yeah, and no one, I mean. They but, should have executed the main girl, the main girl. They should have fucking executed her. And instead saved everyone a lot of time and money. I'm sure they had to ask her, her parents. Like, do you if want If all us? the other ones, uh -huh. and maybe she, they said no. No. Then you respect what the parents are going to say. Like, spare us a trial. But the other girls talked. Mm -hmm. That's good enough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I I think it should always be up to the parents. If they were like, no, I want you to go for the death penalty. Oh, if it had should. been me, I would have said, I don't want them prosecuted. Let them out. <laughs> They deserve to be free. This was an accident. They made a horrible decision. Tell me where to find them. And then I would have murdered each and every single one of them. <laughs> yeah. It's so, and it feels like I've known this case and knowing it now after having a kid, like you do feel differently like about it. And I used to think child murder was okay. No, it's like. And just along it, with Not everyone. that it was okay. It's like how but, your emotional recourse would be. Like I can't 
You put yourself Imagine in the shoes. I don't know. I, I always react. thought crimes against children should be pretty bad. But yeah, you put yourself in the shoes and you realize how much parent, like I would want to murder another person for you know like that type of thing. Like yeah. I could do it. You have to hold me back. Hold me back. Hold me back. Okay. Lori and Melinda were sentenced to sixty years each in the Indiana Women's Prison in Indianapolis. In October of two thousand seven, Melinda's attorney Mark Small requested a hearing to argue for his client's release. He said that Melinda Lovelace had been profoundly retarded by childhood abuse. Moreover, she had not been represented competently by counsel during her sentencing, which caused her to accept a plea bargain in face of exaggerated claims about her chances of receiving the death penalty. So they're saying she's too dumb, which I don't think she is, like mentally disabled. I think she was just smart enough, honestly. Yeah. And she wasn't smart by definition of like college, but she knew what she was doing, Yeah, which is all you need. And then they're saying her attorneys forced her into this plea by saying they'll charge you with the death penalty if you don't take this plea. And her attorney is saying they wouldn't really have done that. And it's like, yes, they would have. They really would have. Mm -hmm. So he's saying they exaggerated her circumstances to her. It's like, no, you murdered a little girl. They're probably going to go for the death penalty if you don't take this plea. So that was their. Yeah, that doesn't sound like exaggeration at all Mm -mm, no small also argued that melinda who is 16 years old when she signed the plea agreement was too young to enter into a contract in the state of indiana without consent from a parent or guardian which had not been obtained well you think her parents weren't going to tell her to take it? i know like were they not in the room i don't know i do think parents should be involved or okay but what what the parents probably would have been like take Take this deal yeah which had not been attained if the judge accepted these arguments she could have been retried or released outright on January 8th, 2008, Melinda's request was rejected by Jefferson Circuit Court Judge Ted Todd. On November 14th, <laughs> 2008. That's a good name. Yeah. Ted Todd. Cousin Ted. Ricky Bobby. <laughs> November 14th, 2008, Melinda's appeal was denied by the Indiana Court of Appeals upholding Judge Todd's ruling. So they appealed. None of them got out. Like, you know, when we first started this podcast... They started letting some of them out. Okay, Tony Lawrence was released on December 14, 2000, after serving nine years. She remained on parole until December 2002. On April 28, 2006, Hope Rippey was released from the Indiana Women's Prison on parole after serving 14 years of her original sentence. She remained on supervised parole for five years until April 2011. I have not apologized to you in court or at any other time because... <clears throat> I just haven't felt it. Do you think I'm sorry is going to change? No, I don't. I don't at all. Okay. And, um, and that's why I haven't. I feel, I mean, I've always felt like it was not anything that you needed or, I mean, I don't know necessarily to say needed is appropriate, but I just have never felt like it was something that I should do, and especially not in the courtroom. And I just, I felt like if this was my opportunity to express that to you, that I should take that opportunity. What do you mean, what they needed? I mean, it's like you're doing them a favor. No, I'm not. No, I'm not trying to do them a favor. That's not, I don't mean it like that. And I don't mean it disrespectfully in any way. And that's why I've never said it. Because I don't, I don't want to be like that. You and are I, like that. And I understand that you feel that way. I don't feel it. I know it. Ahead, you were there when she was lit on fire. And you participated in the setup. So just, hey, I'm a follower doesn't cover it. Absolutely. So I, what is the answer? The answer is, is I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know. And I know how pathetic that sounds. That's why I, I just don't know how to answer that with anything that makes any sense. You were alone for at least four hours. Yes. When you didn't have an intimidating person there, you didn't have someone there saying, I'll beat you up if you do this, I'll kill you if you tell. You could have walked into a police station and had full police protection, and that girl might still be alive today if, when you were alone, you had done the right thing. You're right. So don't tell me it was intimidation. You were alone. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I know 
that I absolutely, from the moment it began to the moment it ended, I could have stopped this. I understand that. I understand it. I completely understand that. Why did you not? I don't have an answer for that. I don't have an answer for that. But it's the only answer that I have. You're sick. Don't. I was a weak person. I was weak, and I just didn't know. Okay. Did you feel power that the four of you had control of her and could make her do anything and do anything to her you wanted to? Was that a high for you at the time? No, not at all. What did you get out of hurting and murdering this girl? I did not do this to get something out of it. I didn't feel anything out of it. What did you do it for? What motivated you to do it? Because I was going along with it. And I'm sorry that that sounds like an excuse or that that sounds like an empty response. But that is the truth. You took her watch. You took a little girl's watch. Stripped down in the woods. You took a little girl's watch. What did you see in her eyes? Tell us the truth. Did you look her in the eye? No. When she was pleading and begging for her life, what did you feel? What did you think? I don't. I didn't feel or think anything. I mean, I wasn't. Exactly. And you still don't. Did you have any empathy for her? I did, but I was afraid in the whole. I was afraid. And I'm sorry that that doesn't sound what were you like a good of? enough excuse. I was afraid of the people that I was with. You are one of them. You are one of them. What else were you afraid of? That they were going to do that to you? I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know. You did, you did know. know. You did know. You knew right. You knew before you went and picked her up what you were going to do. I'm sorry, but that's not. The testimony was that Lori told you she was going to kill a little girl that night. That's not. You all there talked was, to Tony about it on the way to. There New was York. conversation yeah. that this that Melinda was upset. She was going to kill a little girl, and that she was going to kill her. Yes, but it was not taken seriously, and I'm. I'm sorry. So I mean, went, I came on here so that I could tell you the truth. And I'm sorry if you don't feel like I'm telling you the truth. But I'm doing the best that I can to tell you the truth. And that's why I came out here not to lie to you, not to make up excuses for you, not for any other reason. But I'm, I don't have all of the answers, and I'm sorry for that. Well, I am sorry for that, and I will take whatever punishment you feel like you need to say to me. Anything that you feel like you need to say, I'm. that's fine. But I'm telling you the truth, and that's fine. That's Hope, let me ask you a question. How do you think you could have made this up to us? What could you have done to make this up to us? There, to Shanda? I don't think that there's anything that I could do to Hope, make this up to Hope you. there was there was one thing you could have done. You could stay in prison. And you could have served out your sentence. That's what you could have done. There was only one thing you could have done. Because you can't bring her back. You can't make that night go away. You can't take back all that you did to my child. But you could have stayed in jail. And you could have served your sentence. That's the only thing that they ask of you. That's the only thing I ask of you. But you had to try over and over and over and over and over because it was always about you and what you wanted, not about what you should have done. So don't ever say you're sorry because you're not sorry. Do you have children, Hope? God, I hope you never do. I hope nothing good for your life. I'm sorry, but I hope nothing good. Lori Tackett was released from the Rockville Correctional Facility on January 11, 2018, the 26th anniversary of Shanda Sher's death after serving nearly 26 years and has completed an additional year of parole. A crime library reporter who was asking her why someone would kill. Here's what she said. She said, quote, Let's say, for instance, I know a couple of people who kill simply for the fear that they see in their victims' eyes and for the sight of the blood on their bodies. My opinion is they do it to feel superior or high on the victim's fear, and they're thirsty for the spill of blood. Yeah. What do you think about that? Is she talking about herself there? Yes. She testified at, at uh, one of the hearings that she knew it was her destiny. She had always known it was her destiny to murder someone and to spend the rest of her life in prison. 
Now, you know, we're talking about Lori Tackett. That was her statement uh, at Indiana Women's Prison. Now, in her first interview, she talks about what she says her involvement was the night that Shanda was murdered. Uh, hope we all look at this with me, Sorry. and then we'll talk about it. Okay, let's take a look. I didn't know Shanda at all. I didn't go into that evening knowing anything was going to happen, wanting anything to happen, expecting. I didn't. Through pressure. That's all it was. It spiraled out of control way too fast. It's something that should have never happened. If I knew then what I know now, I would have never have been there. I would have stopped everything from happening, and I would have never let Shanda be picked up in the first place. I do want Shanda's mother to know how much I regret my actions and, and what happened. I feel how hard it must be for a mother. Just the pain that I've caused a mother, I mean, is, is painful for me to know that I've, I've done that to someone and that I've hurt lives that, that, that never had to be hurt. I don't feel like I will ever be free from what happened. I live with it every day. It seems like the older I get, the harder it is for me to deal with it. Every January, I relive pretty much what happened, and it's it's just extremely hard. I really don't honestly believe that I will ever be able to move on. What's your reaction to that? Good. Good in what way? That she's suffering? Yes, that she'll never be able to move on, and I hope every January breaks her more and more down the older she gets. Melinda Lovelace was released from the Indiana Women's Prison on September 5th, 2019, after serving more than 26 years in prison. She will serve parole in Jefferson County, You mean Kentucky. like a couple of days ago? Yeah, that's why, yeah. So, she got out. Mm-hmm. They all did about 26 years. Oh, How, well, the that's two. fair. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. That's fair. That girl never got to live to 26. So. Yeah, we can sign that. I'll just keep that on file just in case I ever decide, well, you know, I'll only do 26 years and I get a... Beat somebody, stab them. Light them up. Mm-hmm. So that's what it is. She got sentenced to 60 years, which is every 12 hours a day. So that's 30 years. But then they had good time for good behavior. It becomes 26 years. So I'm not sure how old they are now. Two you could do the math. Yeah. Math is hard. Not seven. <laughs> I don't know, older they than were me. 16 in what year? Yeah. Um, 1992. Plus 26, so 16 plus 26. Yeah, what's that? 42. Okay, because I was going to say they're older than me, but not like... Okay. Um, Shanda's father, Stephen Cher, died of alcoholism in 2005 at the age of 53. In an interview with Shanda's mother, Jackie Vaught, in an, on Investigation Discovery series, Deadly Women, she stated that Shanda's father was so destroyed by his daughter's murder that he did everything he could to kill himself besides put a gun in his head, and that he drank himself to death. The man definitely died from a broken heart. Wow. Mm-hmm. The Shanda Share Scholarship Fund was established in 2009. The fund planned to provide scholarships to two students per year. And I don't know if it's still operating or not. In 2012, Shanda's mother made her first contact with Melinda Lovelace since the trials, although indirectly. She donated a dog named Angel and Shanda's name to Melinda to train for Indiana Canine Assistance Network Program, ICANN through Project to Heal, which provided service pets to, peoples with, to people with disabilities. Melinda has trained dogs for the program for several years. Melinda Lovelace has a leash in each hand and a new lease on life as a trainer of service dogs for the disabled. She wanted me to see me. In seven years, Melinda has become one of the most trusted and competent trainers. Ian talked about dog language. Let him figure it out. In the ICANN program. So we bring our challenges many times to Melinda because she's able to figure out what their strength is. But it's this dog, Angel, that is a dog like no other. A four-legged conduit to her victim Shanda's mother. You know, it was like a knife went through my heart. I had many times said that if you want to see as close to a person that has absolutely nothing inside of them, look in Melinda's eyes because there's nothing there. Jackie never wanted contact with any of her daughter's killers. You know, all I've ever said is I just wanted to serve their sentence. That's all I've ever said. But a breeder who supplies dogs to the ICANN program at the prison forged an unexpected connection. I liked it because it wasn't planned. Charlie Patrizzo, a burn victim like Shanda, 
convinced Jackie to watch a videotape of the new Melinda. I was really taken back. I could never, ever imagine having my own child and something happening. I saw someone who um, was almost reborn. These are my babies. Someone who has learned to nurture something. Love it. Then let it go. <laughs> it's hard. As Melinda did with Odell last month. I know he's in good hands. And when you have to pass off something that you have grown to love, it's bittersweet. There's growth in that. Yes, because I've loved her. I've cried on her. I've given her medicine, her bath. She's like my, my kid. She was compassionate. I think the ICANN program allows her to have something in her life that shows her unconditional love, that she can show that love back to, and there's a result. And there's never any betrayal on either side. Look at her. So Jackie Vaught did something remarkable. She took up Charlie, the breeder, on his idea to donate a puppy in Shanda's honor and let Melinda Loveless train her. When you found out, she said yes. Yeah. What? Um, I, you know what? I didn't believe it. Not until the puppy, Angel, ran into her arms the first time they met in a crowd of people. What are you even doing? That's the one Jackie had touched, had held, had named, and I said, um, wow. Jackie has faced criticism over her decision to let Shanda's killer honor her name. Good job. But if you don't let good things come from bad things, then nothing ever gets better. And I know that's what my child would want. My child would want this. She helped me to actually um, heal, forgive, and grow. Rather, she wanted that or not, um, she did a good thing. And I would thank her. Couldn't thank her enough. Melinda is training Angel to help someone in need, but Angel is already helping her. Angel is in good hands, and I'm doing it for Shanda, and I'm doing it for her. Jackie states that she hopes to donate a dog every year in honor of Shanda. The crime was documented in two true crime books, Little Lost Angel by Michael Quinlan, and Cruel Sacrifice by Aphrodite Jones, which is where I got most of this. Yep. So they just let her out. You've met her before. I met Lori Tackett. And met is a loose term because she wasn't on the wing that I was on. But she has this like really short pixie cut bleach blonde hair. You don't say. Was she asking for someone's manager? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, she came in. I saw her on our unit. And I might have seen her another time when I went on to another unit to get something signed. But So I never had any like direct interaction with her. But I recognized her. And I was like, I know who this person is. Like... You, you know. did a bad thing. You did a bad thing. And she had this like peppy little step about her. I remember that too. I'm like, mm, it's been a pretty fucking good mood. So obviously they transferred her to Rockville at some point. But I do remember coming across her at the Indiana Women's Prison. But no direct interaction. Not that I would want to. But there was no reason to. guess her borderline personality disorder wasn't so bad. She was on the special needs unit ever. It was bad enough to use it as an excuse to kill someone. Right. But, right. Ugh. So thank you for everyone for participating. I listened to True Crime Brewery. True Crime Brewery. Brewery? Mm -hmm. That is kind of hard to say. Yeah. they. I listened to them. I listened to True Crime Guys. Yeah. I listened to a couple. There's a lot of podcasts that cover this, but those are a couple that I listened to. fucking disturbing. Yeah. And um, ours is just different for the first part of this, the first half where we went into the notes. (laughs) That made us different. I knew this part would be a little bit darker. I'll probably have some audio clips in here maybe, but yeah, all of them got let out. They went on Dr. Phil. That's where some of the episodes is on Dr. Phil and Shanda's. And that was in like 2013 something. Maybe, no, nah, maybe late, earlier than that. Early 2000s and her mom is pissed. And, it, and I don't blame her. She should be mad. And it's Hope. Rippy is who they're sitting across from and interrogating her. And Hope is just like taking it. Like the only thing you can do and when you're sorry is just to say, I'm here to like take whatever verbal abuse you want to get her mom me. was pissed she went on the show or her mom no, was like pissed at her angry. yeah because you were part uh, part and parcel to the murder of my daughter She's oh like, Why would you? okay so it's one of the lesser well, i don't know if i could watch that yeah it was hard and she like hope was just like i'm so sorry like you know in saying sorry almost makes it sound worse because it's like how can you even be sorry for something that's like this atrocious 
But so I give it to her for coming on and letting, you know, she and his mom. Like, I mean, what do you, at that point, what do you really have to lose? Yeah. And so I think, so I don't think all of these women had no souls. I don't think they, I, and I think they are a product of their environment. I think, you know, they're not, they were tried to get mental health treatment they try a lot of them tried to their parents are trying to get them admitted into places i'm their, sure their parents tried hard mm-hmm. but it's hard to be you don't have great home lives your parents can't catch it all that some of them are just in it that pack mentality feeling where mm-hmm. you're like everything's going along with it and if i don't go along with it she might fucking set me on fire yeah like that type of thing so i can't say i think the girls the two other ones hope and tony probably got their what they deserved out of it but it's the other two that knew what was going to happen. Yeah, well, it was and, premeditated. And and to have that inner rage. Like, you know, teenage girls, like, you, like, internalize a lot of your anger and stuff. And you take it on your out on yourself. But to externalize it to that degree is insane. Mm-hmm. Everyone needs some psychiatric treatment. And that's what I got to say about that. Intense. Yeah. New Patreon people have to send me your addresses if you want stickers. That's my transition for that. I'll put in some clips. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Uh, did you... We did this whole thing just to tell you that. Yeah, if we didn't thank everyone, we will next time. And I think I have some reviews to read next time. We got written up on a blog. I need to comment about that next time. Someone wrote us in a blog. This is very nice. I want to write a... We'll read some of it next time. You're a blog. <laughs> yeah. Podcasting diary and you, the story of Hoosier homicide. <laughs> I'm like literally holding it in right now. You're holding it. I had to leave that toddler birthday party to come here and shit. You can't poop I don't here. feel good. Yeah. You don't. have to make it home. I do. Call an Uber. Yeah. I'm like sweating. Home. Okay. You have the Tell mustache where to find us. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Hoosier Homicide. You can find us on Facebook. Hey, wait, like there's us. something really important we that I forgot slow. that we need to talk about. Um, there's oh. currently flooding down in the Houston, Texas area. <laughs> He's just trying to keep you from going and to it's shit. it's very important. <laughs> it's my fault. I drank some alcohol today. Not that much. I kind of wish I had skipped out on it, honestly. Yeah. And just come here the whole time. Yeah. Um, that's it. You're good. They know where to find us. Yeah. We're all I friends mean, here. We, yeah. We're good. We're good. We're good. <laughs> and for honest to goodness, stay out, out of, of the, the corn. And my bathroom. Everyone go find your notes from high school. Is Boris still under this chair? No. Go find your notes from high school and read them. They're funny. That's how dumb you all are. So dumb. I know your secret. I know the truth. I know your secrets and I'm telling on you. Hi, I'm Alicia. I'm Allie. I'm Danny. And I'm Amy. And together we're the Cold Case Chronicles. Come hang out with us as we investigate unsolved crimes from across Indiana. We're sort of like The View, but with murder. Except we're funny and not political. Oh, and with some explicit language. Cold Case Chronicles can be heard on your favorite podcast app or by visiting coldcasechronicles.com. And as always, have the day you deserve. Especially if you're a murderer. I know your secrets and I'm telling on you. Who's your good dog, Baba? Boris, sit down. <laughs> Who's sit. your good boy? Are you a good boy? Sit. That dog farted in my face last night, yeah. and it was awful. <laughs> it was literally what it would be like if you got hit in the face with smell. If it I could, if it could literally punch you. Boris, my belly hurts. <laughs> <laughs>